Well, my name is Ron Kuhl. I'm one of the pastors here. And we have to start actually with an announcement that we might have been premature in celebrating the victory that the council had this morning. We got a call from the commissioner's office, and it seems like there was a question about the PSI levels of the footballs that were used, and they anticipate an investigation that will take at least a year before we know the true winner of this game. It looked fine to me. I don't know what the youth were talking about, but anyway, so yeah, there, there seems to be a little deflate gate going on, so anyway, happy Thanksgiving, blessed Thanksgiving to each and every one of you, and, and uh, just our prayer is, we're thankful for you, and our prayer is that you can experience really real deep gratitude this morning, and, and real deep joy, and, and, and that's what we all want to experience on a day like today. We want to experience gratitude. We know that we ought to do that, and, and, and that always leads me to think about this on a day like today, where we're talking about kind of growing an emotion and, and expressing an emotion, and, and one of the things that we learn early in life is this, that, that knowing that we should find something or should feel something doesn't always make it easy to feel something, all right? What I mean by that is, you know, sometimes I know I should be happy, but that doesn't mean I'm necessarily happy. Sometimes I know I should be joyful or glad, but I'm not necessarily those things. Sometimes what I, what I know in my head doesn't actually reach into my heart, and I don't always feel the things that, that I'm supposed to feel. Let me give you an example that's kind of a silly one, but it's actually something that happened. I didn't see this, but I want you to imagine that you're this guy, all right? You're standing on a dock. You're watching people put their, their boats and their personal watercraft in the river and so on. You're just hanging out. You're just watching this, and, and it's no problem until that guy shows up. You see a guy, he's going to put a sea in the water. This actually happened. You're going to put a sea in the water. That's not a problem, but the problem is he's pulling his sea with his yellow Corvette. Don't put hitches on your Corvettes, Okay. Don't put hitches. But he's that guy. He's got his shirt off. He's, he, you can just see he's got his girl with him or his wife. We're not sure who it is. But, but he, you know, he's just that guy who is convinced he is God's gift to women. And so he backs up, and he's, he's going to put his sea in the water. And, and he does that. His girlfriend or wife gets on it. She goes out into the river. And as he's walking around to get back into the Corvette to pull it forward, something slips, the brake or a gear. And his yellow Corvette rolls backward into the water. He tries to do something about it. He gets to the side, but there's nothing he can do, and all he can do is watch as his car disappears into the river. I can tell you are enough like me to know that in a situation like this, if I'm standing on that dock, what I should feel is sadness. This poor guy, right? His car is now under the water. But you know, I, like you, experienced great joy when I saw these pictures, right? I mean, there's just something about it, right? I know I should feel sad. I know I should feel sympathy for this guy whose Corvette is now underwater. But there's something about it that says, no, I I, I like this. Uh, The Bible calls me to, to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep. But all too often, what I end up doing is rejoicing when you weep and weeping when you rejoice. Knowing that we should feel something doesn't always make it easy to feel that thing, and that's especially true on a day like today, right? With gratitude, right? I, I, I know, I know, I know deep in my soul that I ought to feel grateful. I, I know that on a day like today, I should be able to count my many blessings, and my heart should just explode with saying, great are you, Lord. God, you have given me so many gifts. You are so amazing, and I am so thankful. I know I know like a kid who got a present at Christmas that I should feel thankful, but like that kid who gets a present at Christmas, I don't always feel thankful. I I don't always feel grateful. Knowing that I should feel grateful 
doesn't always make me feel grateful. And, and, and the question I want to think about with you for a couple of moments this morning is this. Why not? What is it that gets in the way? What is it that, that blocks our gratitude? What is it that keeps us on a day like today, Thanksgiving of 2015, that keeps us from just exploding with thanks to God? What, what is it? I, I suppose there can be a lot of reasons. I, I mean, it might be that for some of us, we're just so busy we can't see the blessings in our lives. For some of us, we might have had such a rough, rear, such a rough year that we can't, we can't feel those blessings for some of us, we're worried about a surgery or a diagnosis that's coming. And, and, and because of the fear that's in our heart, there's no room for gratitude. There can be any number of reasons, but I want to talk about one. I want to talk about one, and it's a really tough one for me to admit to. And my guess is it might be tough for you as well. But, but I think it's one that's hard for us here at Hillside, here in this area in West Michigan. And I want to get at it, not directly, but by telling you a story or looking at a story with you. A story from the Old Testament, this book of 2 Kings, chapter 5. It's a story about a guy by the name of Naaman. Naaman was an interesting guy, all right? He was a a commander in the Syrian army. Notice that. Not the Israelite army. He was a commander in the Syrian army, so he was somebody who fought against God's people. Now, you can see here, we got a map, all right, just to give you an idea. There we go. Come on, there it is, all right? And, And you can see where Israel is here. That's where they are. Israel is there, and Syria, or Aram, is up in this area, okay? And, and, and so they're doing th- th- these two things. And Naaman is, is from Syria, all right? And, and at this point, Syria is stronger than Israel. They have kind of a truce going on right now, but Syria is stronger than Israel. And uh, just one more thing before we move from the map. That's Samaria. That's where, that's where Naaman is going to end up in Israel, just so that you can kind of picture it in your mind. He's traveling from Syria. He's going to go down to Samaria. So Naaman is a commander in the army. In fact, he has risen quite high through the ranks. He is a personal advisor to the king. He is a commander, a general who has access to the king, who is loved by the king, and he is what we would call a self-made man. He, he did not get his uh, military appointments because of, because of his family. He didn't buy them. He didn't, he didn't work his way up by manipulating people to the top. He, he just was a great soldier, and he started at the bottom, and he did what he was supposed to, and he earned every stripe. He earned every step that he rose through the ranks. He was a self-made man. He, he didn't take a lot of charity from other people, but, but he just got to where he was supposed to get by working hard, by keeping his nose clean, by, by doing the right thing. And, and part of the reason we know that is because he was so well-liked. And Naaman was liked by the king. He was a personal advisor. He was liked by the, the generals. But we're also going to see as we look at the story that, that Naaman really, he was well-liked by those who served under him. And in fact, even the servants in his home cared deeply about him. They, they love him. He was a just, I mean, he was a genuinely good guy. And I think he was probably at that point in his life where he's ready to, ready to kind of sit back and enjoy the fruits of his labor. Maybe, you remember the, maybe you've heard the, the radio advertisement of a woman who talks about building their business. And now we need a bank that's going to take care of us. And we've worked hard for our money. And now it's time to relax and enjoy it. That's kind of where Naaman was, right? He's worked hard for his money. He's put his time in, and he's getting ready to retire. He's ready to just enjoy the fruits of his labor. He's earned all this stuff, and, and it's his. In, in a sense, for Naaman at this point, the key words are, life is good. Life is good. Until it isn't. Until it all falls apart. Or at least one really big thing. See, one morning, Naaman wakes up, and he notices a, a spot on his skin. It's a little white spot. He doesn't 
think much of it, doesn't remember getting bit by anything, but hey, it happens, and he doesn't have anything about it the rest of the day or the next day or the next day, but it, it doesn't go away. In fact, it starts to grow, and it starts to spread. In the back of his mind, he wonders if this is, but no, it can't be. I mean, he, he's always kept himself clean. He's always done the right thing. He hasn't gone and visited the brothels like other soldiers. I mean, this is just, he, he's the good guy, right? He's done it all right. But eventually it becomes clear. He has leprosy. For us, think cancer. Think AIDS. He has leprosy, and, and leprosy for Naaman was a slow death sentence. He was going to die. It wouldn't necessarily happen quickly. It might move along, but it wouldn't necessarily happen all that quickly. He, he would start to lose feeling in his fingers. They would start to fall off. He would start to lose feeling in other parts of his body. He'd also lose his community. I, I mean, this was catching, so they didn't want to have him with anybody else, and even his family would, at, at one point, make him step away. He was just devastated. But he was also a good soldier, okay? He was a good soldier, and he decided, you know what? I'm going to attack this thing. And he did exactly what you and I would do if we had that diagnosis of cancer, right? He called in all the resources he had. He called in the the political resources, the financial resources, the military resources. He went to the best doctors. He went to the best clinics in in the area. He, He tried even the quacks, right? I mean, when you got cancer and it's, and it's fatal, you try whatever it takes. Seaweed from Saigon, I'll wrap up in it. He tried the carrot juice diet. He tried absolutely everything, and nothing worked. Until one day there was a ray of hope. Just a small ray of hope, and it comes from a very strange place. You see, at one time, Naaman must have gone into Israel and done a raid, and he must have taken a young girl back in, in, into his family to serve as a servant to his wife. And, and, and it's interesting because, again, you'd think that she would hate them. You'd think that she would absolutely hate them. But when this girl finds out that Naaman has leprosy, that when Naaman, her master, is, is, is going to die, she breaks down. And, and, and she goes to her mistress. She goes to Naaman's wife, and she says this, If only, if only my master would see the prophet who was in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. And, and so she tells this Syrian king, who had, a Syrian commander, rather, who had, who had abducted her. He, he, she realizes he's, he's just a good guy. And so she says, if only you could go see the prophet in, in Samaria. It's Elisha. If only you could go see Elisha, then you could be healed. Well, you know, Naaman says, I'm going, all right? Naaman decides to go to see the prophet. But this is really where it starts to get very interesting. Because he doesn't just go on his own, all right? He does two things to get ready. First of all, he gets a letter from the king. He goes to his friend, the king, and he says, I need a letter to to, to tell the people in Israel that I need to be healed. I, I, I need to tell them that, and I need to use political power. I need to use military power. I need to use whatever it takes to get what I need, all right? And, and, and so the king writes a letter, and basically, you know, the king doesn't write to the prophet, right? That's not how it works. In, in power circles, kings only write to kings. And, and so he sends a letter to the king, well, gives it to Naaman. Naaman's going to bring it. But he gives a letter to Naaman that says, to the king of Israel, this is my servant Naaman, servant Naaman uh, heal him. Just heal him. And, and that's going to cause great problems for the king of Israel because he's going to get scared to death. And he's going to say, I can't heal him. Oh, my goodness, I'm dead. This is terrible. I'm in big trouble. They're trying to pick a fight with us. We're, we're going to be done. It, 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 but, but Naaman is smart, right? He knows how the world works. No free lunch. He's going to pay his way on this one. 
So he, he gets a letter from the king, and the other thing he gets is he, he loads up a bunch of gifts, bribes, payola, whatever you want to call it. Look at what he takes with him. The text says that he takes 750 pounds of silver. He takes 150 pounds of gold, and he takes 10 sets of clothing. I was reading this week that in, in this time, people might wear their clothes, the same set of clothing for a whole year. They said it was just terribly smelly, but they would wear one, because they only had like one set of clothes. And so they didn't change, so they'd have 10 sets of clothes. He brings all of this, and, and again, in Naaman's world, in Naaman's mind, what he's doing is he's saying, look, I know that, that miracles cost something. I, I know that everybody's got to get paid. I know that the world works. I do this, you do that. And, and so he's getting together all of his resources to go, all right? So he decides to go, and he heads over to the king. He meets with the king. As I said, the king kind of flips out and goes crazy and says, I can't do this. He rips his clothes. He's, he's going nuts, and Elisha hears about it, and Elisha says, King, R-E-L-A-X. Relax. I got this one, buddy. Send him my way. Send him my way. King is more than happy to get rid of Naaman, all right? So he, he, he sends him to Elisha's house. And, and, and you got to just kind of picture this, all right? Elisha is a prophet. He didn't get paid all that well. So he's got kind of, whatever, it's a mobile home out in the woods or something. But here comes, here comes Naaman with his entourage, right? A lot of stuff, 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold. He's got all this stuff. And Naaman, as he drives up, I am thinking that he is thinking, this is going to be easy. This is going to be easy because I can make this guy rich. I, I might not even have to give him everything I brought. So Naaman gets out of his chariot and he starts to walk towards the door. And, and before he gets to the door, out comes a servant. Not Elisha, not the prophet. Out comes a servant, all right? And, and you get the idea from the story that Naaman doesn't even get a chance to say anything. He doesn't get a chance to speak because the servant says this. He says... Go, wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. Now, you might think at this point that Naaman would be like, awesome, I'm going to get cleansed, I'm going to be fine, I'm going to live, I get to spend time with my grandchildren. I'm so excited. But that's not how he responds. This is where the story is most fascinating. This is why I love this story. Because Naaman responds, in some ways, the way I would. You know what he does? You know what Naaman does when the, the prophet's servant says, hey, just seven times in the Jordan River, you'll be fine, no problems, you can go home, everybody's happy. You know what he does? He explodes. He is just ticked off. And he, who does that blankety-blank think he is? Who does that guy think he is? Does he not know who I am? Does he not know that I am Naaman, commander of the Syrian army? Does he not know that I can make him rich? Does he not know that I can put him on the world stage? Who does he think he is? Tell him to get out here. Tell him to do some magic and tell him I'll give him whatever it costs. Tell him to get out. Elisha doesn't, and Naaman just leaves. Naaman is just so angry, and he leaves. And this is where we see that his servants, they, they do care for him. They give him a few minutes to try to settle down at least a little bit. And then they say this, all right? My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? Right, right? If, if, if Elisha had said, you've got to climb the highest mountain in the world, if Elisha had said, you've got to go to this place on this other continent and bring me back grapes from this vineyard, Naaman would have done it in a heartbeat. If he said, I need a billion dollars, Naaman would have somehow raised it. If he had asked you to do something really difficult, you would have done it, right? You would have done it. 
And then the servants say this. How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? And here's the problem. What the servants are saying to Naaman is exactly the problem. What they're saying is, he's giving you a gift. Well, you say, don't we all love gifts? The fact is, you don't and I don't. The fact is, the problem with Naaman and the problem with me, and maybe the problem with you, you can think about it, is Naaman hates charity. He has never taken it, he never has, and he never will. He's earned everything he's got. He pays his price for everything. He's going to pay for his miracles. He's going to pay for his food. He's going to pay for his transportation. He's going to make sure that at the end of the day, he doesn't owe anybody anything. He would rather go without than get a handout. There are no free lunches. He does not go on welfare. He does not go on government programs because he takes care of himself. And the question is, are we any different? Are we any different? Just stop and ask yourself. Think about this for a minute. Just ask yourself honestly, do you hate charity? I, I don't want to be in debt to anybody. I don't want to take charity from anybody. I never have and I never will. And, and, and this is why, I think this is one of the truths about why we struggle with Thanksgiving. It's because deep down there is a part of me that says, I have earned everything I have. You know, I, I love I love being a pastor here. I absolutely do. And you guys pay me really, really well. But you know what? I earn it. It's not a gift. I work hard. I put in a lot of hours. And if you raise my salary, I'll put in more because I don't take charity. I earn what you pay me. And it's nice. But I'm not thankful for it because I've earned it. And our kids are doing pretty well. You know, they got all the problems your kids have, but they're doing pretty well. Some of them are even like making their own way in the world. It's an amazing thing, parents. Someday your kids actually, yeah. And I could say, oh, that's just a gift. But really, there's a big part of me that says, they turned out that way because Tammy and I poured our lives into them. We did a lot for them. We did what we were supposed to. And and we deserve to have kids that turn out that way. Can I take a big chance here? It's too much. Hear me. Confession. Four weeks ago, you gave Tammy and I a wonderful gift. Over $6,000. We've been here 25 years. What I want to do is prove to you that wasn't a gift. It wasn't because I've earned it or I will. Because you see, I don't take charity. I don't need to owe you anything. I will earn that. I will pay it back. I don't take charity. And do you understand why... I don't feel grateful. I mean, if I have earned my house, then I don't need to be thankful for it. If I have earned all the food we're going to eat today, then I don't need to be thankful for it. If I have earned every paycheck, then I don't need to be thankful for it. If I have done everything on my own, then I don't need to be thankful. And I think so often, you know what the biggest problem is? It's pride. For me, the biggest problem with not feeling gratitude is pride, is this sense that that I want to stand on my own two feet. That I'll take whatever comes my way, if it's more, if it's less, but I only want what I deserve. And if that's my attitude, I will never feel gratitude. Naaman has a choice. And it's the same choice you and I have this morning. It's a choice you and I have a lot. He can hold on to his dignity, all right? He can hold on to his self-respect. He can hold on to saying, I I will not take your charity I will not take your charity. I will pay for whatever I need. If you will let me pay for the miracle, I'll take it. He he, he can stand on his, excuse me, he can stand on his own two feet and die. 
or he can swallow his pride and accept the gift of life from the God of Israel. And the fact is, that's my choice. And that's your choice. There is a huge part of me that always wants to just stand on my own two feet, that wants to say, I don't care, I'll take whatever is coming, from, uh, coming to me. There's a part of me that says, it's going to be really hard when I get to, to, to the pearly gates not to say, God, you know what? I think you did okay. Because I gave you all my talents. I gave you everything I could. I did my absolutely best. So are we even? Okay, maybe I owe you still a little more, but what do you need? Some gardening done around here? I guess nothing's broken. But, you know, I mean, there is a part of us that just absolutely hates to think that our lives are really nothing but a gift. And that all we have is just a gift. Naaman has a choice, and thankfully he swallows his pride. He goes, his washes in the, washes, goes and washes in the Jordan. And he's cleansed. He's healed. He has life. It's interesting. He goes back, and we're not going to go further on in the story, but he goes back to, to Elisha, and he says, can I just give you a gift? I understand that your God is a God of grace, but can I just give you a gift? And Elisha says, no, I'm not going to let you give me a thing because I want you to know that you can't buy God. I want you to know that as rich as you are, you don't have enough to buy God. You don't have enough to buy another breath. You can't do that. It's all a gift. And so for me this week, what I've been doing is, is just asking myself, can I really dare to believe that everything I have, everything I am, every breath I take, every move I make, it's just a gift from God. Can I set aside my pride and say, God, don't give me what I deserve? Because God, the only reason I can work is because you give me breath. The only reason I can walk is because you give me breath. I I love the way the Apostle Paul puts this in 1 Corinthians 4. He's talking to some people who are struggling. There's some pride going on. There's some arrogance going on. And he asks this question. He says, what do you have that you did not receive? Can you name me anything, Paul says? What do you have that you didn't receive? What do you have that you earned on your own? The friends, <coughs> the truth is, friends, absolutely nothing. I love <coughs> the way uh, people are able to breathe. Um, <coughs> the way that Eugene Peterson puts this. He says, isn't everything you have and everything you are just a sheer gift from God? You see... <laughs> When we realize, and we're going to close with this, but when we realize that it's all grace, that's when we feel gratitude. When we realize that we can't pay God off, when we realize that I could spend the rest of my life working for God and he's he's, he's not going to love me anymore. Friends, it's grace. It's grace. It's grace. None of us deserve life. None of us deserve kids who turn out. None of us deserve kids who turn out anything less than horrible. None of us deserve the jobs we have. None of us deserve the homes we have. None of us deserve the apartments we have. None of us deserve. It's all a gift from God, friends. What do you have that is not a gift from God? Don't you know that everything you are and everything you have is a sheer gift from God? And when I start to see that, when I start to see that, really, it's all just. Grace. God, thanks. I don't want to stand on my own two feet. 
But it is so hard to set him aside my pride. For Naaman, it took him facing death in the face. I don't know what it would take you. I don't know always what it takes me. But the, friend, the, the truth is, friends, it's, it's all grace. It's all grace. And when we know that, then we simply say, God, thanks. Thanks for this breath. Thanks for this day. Thanks for this rain. Thanks for this sunshine. Thanks for this kid. Because it's all a gift from God. What do we have that we did not receive? Let's pray together. Father, we in this community are really good at taking care of ourselves. We don't go on welfare here. We don't take handouts. And yet you tell us that every breath we take is a gift. So, Father, destroy our pride. Destroy our pride right now, Father. Not so that we feel terrible, but so that we can experience the true love that you have for us, so that we can experience gratitude, Father, so that we can recognize that life is good because you give it to us, that it is all a gift. And help us to celebrate and give thanks. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.